Rookie Designer 121. Today's episode is going to be a bit of a mixed bag, uh, actually a bit, a bit of a mailbag, if you will. I have a few questions that were sent in by some of the listeners, and I wanted to address some of those. So we're talking about such topics as um, coming up with a plan or a strategy for um, technical writing or training, things of that nature. Uh, also, how to maintain a diverse portfolio when things may be a little bit stagnant at work. And finally, if there was a question about um, international clients with so freelancing in a different country and your customers are in the US so we'll touch on that real quick as well so before we jump into things I just want to thank you right off the bat for listening to Ricky designer for downloading subscribing however you get it uh, I really appreciate it that you do get it and listen to what I have to say and hopefully it makes a difference in what you're doing on your on your day-to-day -day routine I also ask that is if this is something that, that helps you out, that you think is uh, helping you become a better designer, and you know some other people out there that might be able to benefit from it, please uh, let them know where it is. Let them know how to get the podcast, um, whether that's actually you know showing them where to get it, or you know I put out tweets every once in a while about the podcast. Maybe you could retweet those. I know a lot of people do that. And again, thank you so much for doing those types of things. It really helps me out. Um, if you want to write about me, a lot of people have written about me on their blogs, anything like that. Everything helps, and I really appreciate it. And, uh, you know, just getting the word out there because, again, uh, I haven't said it in a while, but, you know, I don't make the money to advertise, and I don't advertise. And I think that makes I make makes this kind of a, a, a closer-knit society, I guess. There's not a whole lot of us that are listening to this show that are uh, participating in this show, but I think the ones that do are, are really seem to be dedicated to it. And it really means a lot to me. Um, so anything that you can do to help out and also sending me, sending me your emails helps out as well. You know, as we see today, I'm going to build a whole episode just on people's questions, which I think is good because again, people have certain situations that come up that I think other people out there are probably experienced. Maybe not, it might not be exactly the same, but it might be similar. So the information that comes from that might help more than just that one person that asked the question. So that's why I like to, to do these episodes every once in a while. But if you also have some, some issues, anything that you want to maybe hear more about, hear my opinions on, just send those in. You can send it to rdpodcast at gmail.com. That's rd as in rookie designer, rdpodcast at gmail.com. And uh, we'll try and make an episode about it. So uh, other than that, not much news going on. Um, with the holidays coming up, I know everybody's schedule gets a little crazy and weird. Um, I'm not going to be out too much. I'm going to go out of town for Christmas. But other than that, um, hopefully it won't affect the schedule too much, uh, any, any more than it's already affected by my daily routine. But uh, hopefully we'll be able to uh, get the podcast out there on, on a regular basis still. All right. So one last thing before we get started is our sponsor, and that is GoToMeeting. With GoToMeeting, you can do more and travel less, and you do this by hosting meetings online. So you actually start a meeting with a click of a button. Other people can join this meeting 
uh, through their browser, and they can actually see everything that's going on on your desktop. You're actually showing them what you're doing on your computer while you talk to them on the phone or over voice over IP or both. And that way you can have a conversation about something, but also be showing them something so that they understand exactly what you're talking about. A great thing if you need to show work to a client, something like that. And also it's very cost effective because you pay one flat rate and meet as many times as you need to. So if you want to check this out, just go to gotomeeting.com slash tech podcasts. That's gotomeeting.com slash tech podcasts. And you can try and you can download and try the software for free for 30 days and uh, check it out. It's a great piece of software. So as I said in the beginning, we're going to be going over a few questions that were sent in by some of our listeners. So uh, before we dive into that, let me just give a thank you to those people that sent in these questions. Uh, I appreciate, um, first of all, you're, you're actually wanting to hear my opinion about your question. And uh, I just appreciate you participating and, and wanting to uh, help promote the show and, and give me something to talk about. So uh, special thanks to Michael, Chris, and Edwin, who sent in the, the three questions that I'm going to be addressing today. So the first one is from Michael. And Michael is a technical writer. And he said, I wanted to ask for a podcast about content strategy. Something I've noticed is that the techies in the web field all too often lose sight on what the web is all about, which is publishing content. The idea of what a tech writer is, is not about the person who simply writes down directions, take a cheese, takes a cheesy screenshot, and calls it a day. Just as the consumer has become more sophisticated, we must tailor instructions for these consumers who, once they open the box, are now users. So, this one is... a I thought maybe a little bit tricky for me because I'm definitely not a tech writer. I'm not a writer of any sorts, never have claimed to be, even though I have done a little bit of writing. And I think anybody who works um, actually pretty much in anything, you know, whether it be web or print, you've probably done at least a little bit of maybe not, not writing, but maybe uh, cleaning things up, as we'll say. I, I had a client where... Uh, he did all of his own writing, which was pretty disastrous because he's he wasn't a writer either. But he uh, either didn't know or didn't want to pay someone to do that for him. So he did all the writing, and basically I went in and cleaned it up as best I could. It still was probably uh, subpar, you know, not not up to the, the the quality that it should have been. But I at least you know corrected some of the English and and made it sound like something that that was acceptable. So from a from a writer standpoint, you know, I, I can't really, I can't really speak to that with any experience. But you know, I have had experience with this type of thing. I've worked with you know marketing department people. I've worked with copywriters. So from that end, I can I can speak to what's going on here, and and uh, I I think it's, I think it's definitely a good point to bring up. The way that that people learn things, the the way that training and help in in things of that nature are these days is a whole lot different than it was, you know, even just a few years ago. Things are evolving very quickly, and I, I think the point, the the best point to bring up that he had there is that the users have become become more sophisticated. The consumers, he said, uh, who eventually end up being the users. Now I can speak to this also from. The point that, you know, I work with an application myself. That's what we create. It's an online application, so it's not like something you would purchase, you know, a CD and install it on your computer. Yet, you know, our users come, and once they install their their units and their vehicles and stuff, 
then they have to come to our website and use our application to get the data from those devices. So while it's not exactly the same, it's pretty much the same. You know, they are users of our software. We have online software and they have to figure out how to use it to get the information out of it that they need. So I can definitely relate there. I guess I'll just start off by talking a little bit about our application and, and kind of the, the things that I've seen go, go on there. And it's been a little bit of what Michael here is talking about. And that is, you know, everything on our website, um, I'll just, I guess I'll just reiterate here, we're doing a big re-architecture of our whole application. So what that means is we're rebuilding from the back end all the way to the front end. And the reason for this is everything is on our application is very old. It's at least five years old. And so there's old technologies going on there. We're going to update that to make the user experience one that's a lot better, you know, from the back end point, point of view, you know, the data is going to get crunched in better ways so that it's delivered, you know, in a, in a, in a more customized way, in a, in a faster way, use things like Ajax. So you don't have to have a million pages. It can just reload in the same page, things like that on the, on the front end, we're making it so that the user finds it easier to access their information. Now, this causes a couple of issues in that we have basically two kinds of users now that, that we're going to have to start worrying about. And that is the people that use the system right now, very in tune, very used to what's going on currently. They know how to use things. They know where things are. Um, they have a certain way of doing things, a certain way of navigating around the website. So now we're going to have to figure out a way to migrate these people over to the new system, which is going to be almost completely different, does the same things, gives them the same information, but delivers it in a different way. And then our second set of users will be new users, people who have never used it before. And at, at this point, these people are almost the easier people to cater to because they have no expectations. They don't have a certain way of doing things already. They're coming in and they're going to learn something brand new. Therefore, you know, they don't know that there was a version before that, that was completely different. So, um, speaking to the training that we have up there for this kind of, kind of stuff, it, it kind of goes right along with everything else. It's at least five years old and uses the practices of, you know, five-year-old websites. Not to say that everything was like this five years ago, because I think there, there was the help section is really something that that was always lackluster. It never, it never really met the expectations of what it probably should have been for being such a sophisticated application. You would you would expect it to have something a little more, a little more sophisticated itself, I guess, in the help section to be able to help people understand how to use it. So basically, all it was is a help section with a bunch of text explaining what things are and a little bit of how to use them. Um, really no screenshots at all. That that actually started probably, I don't know, in the last year we started putting some screenshots up there. And again, you know, it's it's really not that great when you think about it. Just think about going back to the days, I'm sure most people listening had some sort of training in Photoshop, but just think about it, the fact that if you got, if you bought Photoshop and you brought it home, installed it on your computer, and then just used the book in there, didn't have any kind of other training, no teachers, none of this video stuff, no lynda.com, things like that. No, you know, there's sites all over the place that give you free videos now. And even in the help in Adobe, they give you videos now, free videos. Think about if you don't have any of that stuff, you're just reading the book and 
you know, whether it has screenshots or not, I mean, screenshots are going to help a little bit, sure. But I mean, just reading through that book, not knowing anything about Photoshop, it's going to be really hard to understand how to use the tools, what they do, what they're for, that kind of stuff. So it's really, it's really a, an inefficient way to train people. Now we have done stuff recently on our website that I think has, has started to move in that right direction. One of which is actually um, live trainings. So they do something kind of like a go-to meeting where people sign up and they, they attend this, this meeting, the seminar online, and there's a trainer person going through things and people can ask questions, things like that. So uh, that's one way that, that they're helping out. And they also did on-demand things. So they actually recorded videos that people can go up and, and check them out at any time. And again, it runs through the steps of you know, maybe running a report or something and, and how that's going to help them and what it's used for, things like that. So that's definitely a step in the right direction. But I think almost these two things need to be melded into one where, like I said, now in Adobe, you can go to the help section, you can find articles on things, but a lot of them will have videos too. And I think that's really where our thing needs to go is, you know, I can go to the help section. If I'm that, if I'm that user that can just read a paragraph and understand... I'm good there. If I'm somebody who needs a little bit more, I need something shown to me. Now I have a video available for me. So, and and that really brings up a good point of being able to cater to different spectrums of the audience. We always, we always need to know who our audience is and our audience is going to consist of different people. Not everybody's going to be the same for certain things. It might be, you know, certain, certain websites or certain products may be only for the advanced user. But for us, we find that we have everything in the spectrum from people who don't know how to use computers very well to people who are, you know, super users, you might say. And I've seen this all over. I mean, you see people who work with computers or work on a computer at work, yet don't seem to know the first thing about computers. And it's really amazing how they actually get their work done. And, And really it is, they've been trained to do a couple of things on the computer, and that's the only thing they know how to do on the computer. So we need to we need to be able to cater to both of these both of these types of people. And you see it a lot on the on the web these days. There's a lot of great things going on where you might go to a website and for each page you go to, maybe if you mouse over something or maybe it just pops up automatically, you get these little pop-up boxes that give you hints about how to use the software. And it's very it's it's great. It's fine and dandy for the people who need that. Somebody who doesn't know what they're doing is gonna like that. Oh look, it's actually telling me what to do here. But you get a super user, somebody who's very advanced, they don't need that. You know, they actually don't wanna see it. It's annoying to have all these things popping up at you all the time when you already know what you're doing. So that's when you see the pop up box actually have like a little line that says, Don't show me this ever again. It has a little checkbox. So these are the types of things that we do. You know, we want to have help in the right places, which is, you know, where you need it, of course. You always want to have that help section because I think that's kind of way the way people have been trained is, okay, if I don't know what I'm doing, I can always go to the help section and figure out what's going on. So you don't want to necessarily get rid of that. But I think having having help in the right places like something like this, maybe a box that pops up, maybe a little icon with a question mark next to something that might be confusing so they can roll over that or click on it and pop up another box. Um, maybe some kind of button that launches uh, uh, an explanation for each certain page and having that in the same spot every time. These are t- the types of things you've been seeing go on on the web 
Um, and it's, it's good. It's helpful and it's helpful for everybody. You know, it's helpful for the people that really need it. And it's also helpful for the people that may not need it because you, it gives you this ability to customize this ability to turn it off if that's not something you want to see. So kind of getting back to what his question was all about, um, and that is content strategy. It's, it's this idea that, you know, long gone are the days, hopefully, of us just thinking that we can, you know, write up a paragraph about something and just throw a screenshot down and, and think that that's good enough to train people or to get people to understand, you know, what, what is the information we're trying to convey. And and I think this is a little bit different. I, I think you have an advantage, maybe, when we're talking about uh, training people or giving people help or giving them direction. Uh, and, and I guess maybe I should apologize if this all seems to revolve around a topic of web, but that's kind of where I'm living these days. So um, that's what I know. But it, it certainly... It certainly is the case for print things as well. I mean, print is a little bit more challenging because with print, obviously, you're limited to images and text. You can't have things like interactive or video, obviously. I mean, you can if if that's something that's available to you and and you know you have a, a method for a method of delivery for those things. But generally speaking, you're going to you're going to be stuck with just imagery and text. And that's where your text really has to make a difference. That's where you you definitely need to hire a copywriter or a technical writer, whatever the case may be, whatever it is that you're putting out there. So that, you know, it's cl crystal clear. It's it's clear to the user what needs to be done, how things need to be done, things like that. And and you know, a screenshot may not do it justice. You know, and a screen screenshot with just, you know, a couple of captions may not do it justice either. Maybe you have to find ways to really manipulate that imagery to make it more clear to the, the user what's going on there. And that's that's really where where that strategy comes in. I mean, do you need to plan out? But I think it all goes back to what I was talking about just a minute ago with knowing your audience. You need to know your audience. You need to know how much direction are these people going to need. Are they going to need a whole lot? Are they going to need a whole not a whole lot? Are we going to be kind of in the middle where we have to cater to these people who do need it and also people who don't need it? And uh, at that point, do we, need, do we need, you know, different situational writing or different situational directions? Whereas we can say something like, um, if, if you don't need such and such direction on this, then skip to this page, you know, things like that. So I don't have a whole lot of experience. I, I did used to do actually installation guides and... Uh, product guides for our application back when I was doing a lot more of the print stuff. So I did a, dabble in a little bit of that stuff, but I'm not super familiar, really more familiar with the web stuff. And and I, I think you do definitely have an advantage there. Like I said, you can do things like video. Um, you'll see things like flash uh, prototyping, where it's kind of a simulated thing where you're going through the steps that you would normally go through in the product. But at the same time, it's like giving you little help bubbles or maybe even, you know, making like a, a specific little quiz for you. So it says, okay, what do you do now? You know, when you get to this step, now what do you do? Things like that. And that helps people, you know, get that. Helps people get, get things straight in their mind of, of what's going on with your particular application. But I think really it all starts with the planning. And that's what we're talking about with the, the strategy is, you know, who is this 
who is this targeted for and how can we customize it for them so that it's the best experience that it can be and that's really something that that you should be familiar with because that's what you should be doing for design as well you know if you're designing a flyer you got to know who that flyer is going to go out to so that you know how to design it to really speak to them to to have it become something that they relate to that they're interested in that they're actually going to read something that that's going to mean something to them and you know provoke whatever action it is you hope to accomplish by sending out that flyer so it's that same kind of thing uh just almost maybe a little bit more critical because here you have people that uh, potentially have already purchased a piece of software or a subscription to your website or something like that. And now you have to keep them satisfied. You know, they already spent their money. Now they're going to be pissed off if they don't know how to use what they spent their money on. So uh, I think it's a very critical point at which, you know, they, they really need to be able to feel like they got something for their money or, you know, even if it's something that they didn't pay for. That, that they have a reason for staying on your website if that's the case. Um, and, and the way to do that is to make sure that they're comfortable and make sure that they understand what they're, what they're supposed to do there or what they can do there. And uh, that all comes with that, that strategy of, of making sure that, that all the bases are covered and, uh, and making sure that you didn't just half-ass it. You, know, you, can't just, you can't just throw something out there and expect it to be good enough. Especially these days, you know, like we said, the, the users are more sophisticated. I mean, the kids growing up these days are, they're already in tune. They know how to use computers better than their parents do. Um, they're on the computer all the time with the, whatever, the Facebook, Twitter, all that kind of stuff. I mean, they know more about computers than a, a lot of the older population does. And this is, these are the people who we're going to be having to design for, that we're going to have to be writing for. And, you know, it's, it's, they're they're expecting more. You know, people that grew up with YouTube are going to expect more than a little bit of a paragraph of copy and a screenshot. So just keep that in mind. Uh, I know it's not something that everybody probably has to deal with, but at some point you might find yourself in a situation where you need to write some kind of uh, instructional steps or help or something like that, or at least, you know, supervise it, someone who's doing the writing and someone who's putting it together. And uh, it's good to keep these things in mind, I think. All right, our second question that was sent in is something that I can absolutely relate with. And this was sent in by Chris. And it says, he's asking how to maintain a creatively diverse portfolio and positive mindset when we as graphic designers feel our best creative work is behind us at our current job. So something obviously that I've I've been in this position quite a few times, um, kind of came out of it a couple of times, which is the case right now with all the rearchitecture. We're doing a lot of new stuff. I'm learning a lot of new technology, so it's it's actually starting to challenge me again. And you might find this, you know, might might go in cycles or fluctuate like that at your work, where for you know periods of maybe months, you're finding that that you don't really have anything new to do. You're not learning anything. You're not being challenged by anything, and it can really weigh on you. It's it's really, it's something that that it just it just doesn't make you feel that great at work. And and it's probably the time that you start looking for other jobs, which is what happens with me. I I find myself constantly looking for new jobs because I always want to see what's out there. But there are certain periods where I'm like all right, now it's time for me to get, get out of here and find something that's going to better challenge me. Uh, he goes on, um, how to avoid having a static portfolio. 
And the question here is, should the lack of creative freedom and resources at the job be a reason for graphic designers to provide pro bono design work um, to for-profit businesses, for, for just any, any business, basically, in an effort to jumpstart our creativity experience and expand design portfolios? Um, yeah, this, this can be a, a big problem. And again, I have a lot of experience with this, especially the type of job that I have. I think anybody that's in my position is going to feel this maybe even more than somebody who might be working somewhere like an agency. Agency is nice. You get different clients all the time. I mean, you're going to have some clients that you probably work for multiple times, but things aren't always going to be the same. Anybody who works in a job like me where you are an in-house designer for the same job, same client, you, you, you can get yourself in a rut very easily. You know, it's the hardest thing about this job is to constantly come up with new ideas of how to present the same information in a new way. And it's hard. And it ends up, you, you end up in a point where you do, you know, your, your portfolio becomes a little bit static. And uh, it's, hard to, it's hard to get those new ideas out there. It's hard to show anything different, you know, because everything keeps falling into that same kind of zone of, of what you're doing. I myself, I do freelance on the side, as I'm sure everybody knows. And this is really what supplements my portfolio. I have about two portfolio pieces from my full-time job, and that's about it. You know, I've done a couple of things in print that I like that I keep in there. And of course, the website that I work on, that stuff goes in there. Other than that, everything else comes from my freelance. So I can see if somebody's just in-house designing at a job and doesn't have that freelance on the side, I can see where things will be kind of lacking. You know, you're not going to have much to show. And what you do have to show might all look very similar because you have that similar style at your job. So... I think Chris has a very good question here, and I, I think the the question to the 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 answer to the first question, which is how do we you know keep our portfolio diverse and and how do we stay positive and and say you know it's going to be all right you know I'm going to be able to design other stuff at some point and and things are going to be okay on the for- portfolio piece I think still you know if you don't do freelance even if you're not going to get out there and do freelance and design stuff where you're getting paid by people and having clients and things like that, which of course complicates everything because you're running your own business now. You don't necessarily have to do that to create pieces on the side. Uh, you, can always, you can always take any example of anything, you know, create a website, create a flyer, create you know, an instruction booklet, you know, if you want to dabble in that kind of thing and, and think about what we were talking about just a minute ago. Um, you can do any of these things without actually having a client. You can, you can simulate actual freelance work anytime you want. You know, it's just putting the time in. And it, when you do these things, you definitely don't want to stay in that sta- same stream that you are in work. You want to do something completely different so that it shows a little more diversity in your portfolio. So if I work, I work in GPS, uh, it's basically GPS and diagnostics. You know, when I do stuff on the outside, and I did have other clients that I did that because I already know about the product. I know what it does and I understand it. So it was, uh, it's easier for me to do that. Um, But, you know, I don't want to just only work for those type of companies. So I do some other stuff as well. You know, I'm, I'm helping people out on like a woodworking website. I help somebody out on a sports related website. And this shows a little bit more diversity. It also helps you because you, you, 
you get more ideas, you know, certain industries, you have a little more creative, creative freedom. Whereas like the GPS thing for me, it's all very, very business, like very clean. Um, there's not a whole lot of experimentation going on there design wise. Whereas, you know, when you do something that's more woodworking, more artistic, uh, sports related, these things are going to give you a little more, uh, creative freedom, as we said, to maybe push the envelope a little bit more creatively to do things that are a little more with the times, a little more, uh, with the trends that are going on these days. Um, so that, that kind of stuff can help. And again, uh, these are all things that you can just come up with yourself. And there's also lots of sites out there. I give websites on, on every podcast and a lot of them have inspiration, uh, aspects to them where you can go up and see what other people have done. And it's a great, great way to get ideas. There are all, there are also sites. I think the about.com, I think it's graphicdesign.about.com or something like that. Um, they, I noticed they had a section where they would actually propose certain jobs, which is basically what, what you do in school. You know, your teacher gives you uh, an assignment, which is basically the equivalent to a freelance job. You have specifications for that, you know, how big, uh, the dimensions of it, how many colors you're going to use, things like that. If it's a print thing or if it's a web, web website, then how many pages you need, you know, specific types of navigation, you know, things like that, that might be included. Um, so there, there, there are probably websites out there where you can find people that, that will give you the specifications for a project, but you can come up with these things yourself. I mean, just find something that you like, that you'd like to design, and maybe just base it off of one that you've already seen, and then make your own. Maybe it's taking a website, uh, you know, something, maybe like a local business or something, and redesign that to what you think it should look like. And in that, you know, if you do something like that for something that exists, I mean, potentially that's something that you could take to that that business owner and show it to him and say, hey, you know, this is what I'm capable of. Um, was wondering if you'd like any help or if you'd be interested in working on your website and, and working with me. That's besides the point, though. I mean, that's just an added thing if you wanted to do that. But it's just talking about you know, building this portfolio and, and keeping yourself interested in design, not letting yourself get kind of run down by doing the same thing all the time at your job. Now, to talk about the second question, which was talking about pro bono work, which is, of course, is doing work for free. And he's talking about doing work for free for, for businesses that, that turn a profit. He's not talking about nonprofits. Uh, I think it's generally it's, considered more acceptable to do free work for a nonprofit organization just because those people don't have a lot of money. They do have money, but they don't have much to spend on things like that. I actually have done a, done some work for a nonprofit and actually got paid for it. I didn't get paid very much. I probably got paid, uh, I don't know, one fifth or, or even worse of what I should have actually been paid for that work, but it's okay. You know, I was okay with putting the time in. It gave me some experience and I was still seeing a little bit of payment out of it. This is where I, I kind of say, you know, I'm, I'm not going to tell you whether you should or should not do pro bono work. It's solely up to you. It's, it's up to you to, to decide if you have the time to put into it, because, of course, time is money. But, you know, you, it, I think the fact remains that you are getting something out of it. And that's really what I think Chris was alluding to here is you're getting experience out of it. You may be getting a portfolio piece out of it. I say just be careful, because any business out there, 
is is willing to get something for free and take as much as they can for free. And the more you keep giving, the more they're going to keep taking. So you got to be careful there. Um, if you want to do something for free for somebody, I think you need to outline. You still need to use that contract that we always talk about and outline what exactly it is you're going to do. Because you don't want it to turn into a situation where, oh yeah, and can you do this? Oh, and we need this too. Can you do this too? And all of a sudden now you have a regular contract position with a company, yet you're not making any money at all. So you got to be careful there. Um, from there though, I mean, it's it's really up to you if you want to spend this time. And, and my only advice with this is if you're going to do this, no matter what what type of company it is, if you're going to do free work, then make sure it's going to be a good situation for you. Make sure the quality of work is going to be good and held to a high standard, one that you, that one that's acceptable to you. Um, make sure that, that it's going to be a good working relationship. And, and it's not to say that you're going to know all these things up front, but as you go through these things and maybe do it a couple of times, you're going to start to understand what, what happens here. But you want a good working relationship. You don't want a situation where they're going to overtake the project and basically end up telling you exactly what to do and you just do what they say. Because most times that's going to result in a piece that doesn't belong in your portfolio, something that you're not proud enough of to display as, as one of your pieces of work. And that's now, now you've wasted part of the part that you're getting back. You're still going to get experience, but you're not getting that portfolio piece like you were hoping to get. So I think those are the main two things is, you know, you want, you want to make sure that the work is up to the standard that you want so that it can be something that you put in your portfolio. And then again, you got to make sure that, that things don't get out of hand, that they don't just start asking for, for things that you weren't willing to do in the first place. And now you're just going to do them. You can't, you can't get in that situation where, where you're just doing too much for free. You don't want to give away too much. But as, as far as getting experience, this is a great way to do it. And sometimes, yes, it is better to do some pro bono work rather than just you know create your own fake projects and do that because now you're actually adding that extra component of being able to work with a client and having experience going back and forth with a client, um, you know, designing to their needs rather than just what you think the client's needs might have been. So you do get some great experience by doing that. And that's where really, you know, that's why people tend to go to internships before they go to their, their real job, because it gives you that real work environment experience. And same thing here, you know, if you, if you do this kind of freelance style pro bono work, it's going to give you a taste of what freelance is like, yet you don't already have to deal with all this business stuff because you're not dealing with payments and, and things of that nature. But again, I, I would stress that you do use some sort of contract so that you can outline, hey, I'm going to do this, this, and this. And once that's done, I'm done. I'm not giving you any more free work. So I think that was a, an excellent question, though. And I think it's something that pretty much everybody will deal with at some point, unless you have this really great job, which if you do, congratulations. Um, but, you know, if you're if you're somebody who isn't... Uh, in the completely in the de design phase at a, at an agency, then you're probably going to run into this at, at one point or another. And it happens, you know, that's why people move on to different jobs and it's totally okay. You know, it, it's, it's okay if it happens to you and you find that, that your job just isn't satisfying you anymore and it's time to move on. I mean, that's that it happens. Certain positions just aren't suited to, to grow with the designer. 
they're always going to be that same position. So once you get to that certain level, it's time for you to move on and someone with less skills will, will be able to come in and replace you in that place. So it's, it's definitely something that's, that's normal. I don't think you should feel like you definitely shouldn't feel like you're the only one going through that, but there are ways to, to get around it. And, and I think those are some pretty good ideas. And uh, again, with the whole working for free thing, if that's something that, that you're willing to dedicate some time to, then it's definitely going to be helpful for you. Uh, it's not to say that that that's the case, but uh, I think the one thing that I, I have definitely spoken out about is spec work, and that's a little bit different. I mean, that's that's you're you're creating something for the potential of getting a job. You don't know if you're going to get the job yet. It's basically somebody saying, "Hey, design something new for me." And I'll decide if you're talented enough to do this job that I have. And it's, I really don't think that you, you should ever have to submit to something like that. If they can't look at your portfolio and decide whether you're good enough for their job or not, then perhaps that's a job that you don't need. Uh, again, completely up to you, but my opinion is there's no need for that. But the, I think what we're talking about here is a little bit different than spec work. It's it's you identifying the fact that you need something more challenging or you need something new to add to your portfolio and your regular job is just not giving you that opportunity. So you're going to set out and, and do something, uh, do something about it. All right. Our last question here is sent in by Edwin. And he says, I'm moving to Mexico and I was wondering, since I will still be in touch with some of my clients online, would it be fair f to them to still charge them in U.S. dollars? And he says, also, since none of them know I'm moving, would it matter? First of all, if you have clients, um, regular clients that you're going to continue to work with, I think they should probably know that you're moving whether it be to another country or just a, another city, that's something they should probably know about. Um, you, you don't want to uh, not keep your clients in the loop of what's going on with your business. Uh, I had a similar situation. I used to live in San Diego and I moved to Orange County. So of course I was, I let everybody know that I was going to continue working with, which was important because, you know, they send me stuff sometimes. Some of them actually come to visit me and, and we have meetings and stuff like that. So, um, I think it's definitely uh, it's definitely good to keep them in the loop as far as things like that. Uh, with the money thing, I'm no expert with this, but as far as I'm concerned, if your clients reside in the U.S., then they should be paying in U.S. dollars because that's what makes sense to them. If you all of a sudden send them a bill and it's, you know, I, I think they still use pesos in Mexico. If it's, you know thousands and thousands of pesos, that could be very confusing, you know, because maybe they don't know the exchange rate. Uh, I have a little translator on my computer that tell, that converts, you know, euros to dollars, things like that. Otherwise, I have no clue what's going on with their money. So absolutely, I think you would still charge them in US dollars. And I think another issue there potentially is the fact that, you know, if you do some design work in Mexico, it might be a little more devalued there. It might, you might not be able to charge people as much in Mexico as you do in the US. I don't know. I'm not saying that that is the case. I don't know if it is or not. Could be the reverse. But, you know, there might be two different clients or, or climates there, I guess you'd say. And the same thing goes for if you're, you know, if, if you're in the Midwest, in the rural, rural Midwest, or if you're in New York City, I mean, prices there are going to be different as well. So those are things to think of also. I mean, 
you're not going to move to Mexico and, and if people charge less in Mexico, you're not going to charge your U.S. customers less because you're in Mexico because they're still in the U.S. So same thing, same thing goes if, if I move from New York to Indiana, but my cu- clients are still in New York, I'm going to charge them New York prices. I'm not going to charge them Indiana prices. So um, I, I think it really has more to do with where the client is rather than where you're doing your business from. So uh, again, I'm no expert. I don't know that that's set in stone the truth, but that's my take on it is it has more to do with them than it does with you. So uh, hopefully that helps you out. Uh, once again, I want to thank all all three of these guys for sending in questions. Uh, Michael, Chris, and Edwin, I really appreciate it. And hopefully I answered your questions enough that... that uh, It'll give you some good insight on it anyways, and hopefully everybody else found it a little bit helpful as well. And he has Baker standing in his way. Two balls and no strikes to Baker. And a ground ball to third. Our website for today, um, and again, let me apologize for being super uh, on the web tip, but uh, this one is called Web and Designers. And and even though, you know, I give you a lot of websites and I give a lot of... uh, information and opinions about web in general, I think there's still a lot of principles that apply to to both print and web design. So hopefully you can take some of that away. But anyways, this uh, website is called Web and Designers. You can find it at webanddesigners.com. It's pretty much in line with a lot of the ones that I've been uh, introducing lately, in which there's tutorials, there's news, um, they have an inspiration section on this one, which we talked about a little bit today is a great thing. You know, if you're trying to think of different projects to do, um, that's a great way to do it. You know, just look at some of the stuff that other people have done and maybe kind of base it off of that. Uh, they also have a freebies section. A lot of these uh, websites have these now. And especially, you know, the web design type of things, there's a lot of sharing going on there these days uh, of scripts and, and different uh different technologies that you can use to to make different effects on your website and, and make things better for the user. So, uh, yeah, webanddesigners.com. Check it out. It's a nice little site, and I, I think there's some definitely some good content up there for you. All right, one more time. If you want to send in any questions, any topic suggestions, if you have any comments for me at all, good or bad, just send them to rdpodcast at gmail.com. That's rd as in rookie designer rdpodcast at gmail.com we are also on facebook just search for rookie designer and you should find us that way Uh, i am also on twitter and the name there is rookie designer as well and that has uh, updates about the podcast and every once in a while i throw out some links to some interesting stuff websites and articles things like that so if you want to check that out again that's uh, rookie designer as well and uh I think that's about it for this time. So uh, one more time, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. Thank you for subscribing, for listening, for supporting the show. And uh, everybody just remember that everyone's a rookie before they're an all-star. Drive left center field. He might have had it. 